0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Good morning. Good morning. I'm, I, my name is Frank. I'm one of your teaching pastors. I'm also the Mayfair Road Campus pastor. I'm glad that you are here today. Uh, Eastside Sherman Park and Mayfair Road. And if you're online, wherever you are, if you're in here or watching, I want you to do me a favor. Grab your Bibles and open to Colossians chapter 3. Last week, uh, Ray uh, read from Colossians 3, and he asked us a very important question. He said, what is in your closet that you need to get rid of? And what was great about that question is it reminded me that I have a closet I need to empty at home. And so that's what I did that last week. I, uh, I have a vacation I'm trying to plan, and I'm trying to fund it entirely on things I can sell in my house on Facebook Marketplace. And like Macari and stuff like that. And so I, I have this closet in my office, home office, man cave space. It's the place where I do my seminary homework. And uh, I, I opened the closet and I just, I like took everything out. You know, you might have that space. It's like a catch-all for everything that like you don't want in the garage, but like you don't have a place for it. And it just like topples over. And you just kind of hope it just stays in there. Like that's this. I took everything out and, and I need to organize it. It's a mess. It's been a mess for years, and so I'm glad I got to organize it to be able to sell things. And, and what I did is I took everything out, and I put it in three piles on the floor. Uh, one pile was a pile for trash. It's, like, full of cables of technology that doesn't exist anymore, you know what I'm saying? Like, just so much stuff that I can't donate. Nobody wants it. I can't sell it, so it's just going to go in the garbage. Then I have a pile of, like, personal nostalgic stuff like photos, yearbooks, things that like I, I can't throw away, but I definitely can't sell or donate. And then uh, stuff that I just need to like look up, right? Technology, like Old cameras, things to see if it has any value. I have a pile of that so I can maybe put it on Facebook marketplace so I can uh, have a next vacation. Um, now, now the closet is completely empty. And so what I should do Is anything I'm going to put back in the closet, I should like neatly organize it so I don't have that problem again, right? That's what I should have done, but what I ended up doing was go and make lunch. And then I spent like two hours watching Disney cruise videos because it was like my inspiration to sell stuff, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like doing that, and then I realized I had friends coming over that afternoon, and my like home office has some like nerdy collectible stuff that some people like to see, so I got to clean the space up. And so what I did is I went back into space. I looked at all the three piles on the floor, and I said, I have an idea. I'm just going to grab everything again and just shove it back in the closet, right? All that organization for absolutely nothing. The same junk that was in the closet before, unorganized, toppling over, is back in the closet, unorganized, toppling over. Marie Kondo is very disappointed in me, all right? It's, It's a mess, all right? Every space that is empty will be filled with something. Every space that is empty in the world and in your life will be filled with something. And what, what, what is in your heart's closet that we need to get rid of, right? What are the sins, the addictions, the vices that you have stored up in your life that's taken up space that needs to be removed and needs to be repented of? We, we've all been there, right? We've heard a sermon that like, convicted us. We had someone confront us and challenge us. And, and we acknowledged our sin, right? We were like, you know what? You're right. I need to change. I need to turn away from this sin. And, and once we bring the sin to light, if we don't fill our hearts with something good to replace it, we're at risk for that same sin to come back into our lives or a new sin to sneak in and replace it. And so Paul knew this, and this is why he uses that metaphor of of putting off your old self, the old ways, the old man, taking it off and then putting on something new. Putting on the—we are a new creation in Christ. However, we live in a world full of sin and death and a flesh desires to rebel against God. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to live lives that are consistent with our new identity in Christ so let's talk about what is this new identity in Christ, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. <clears throat> Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul begins by appealing to our identity in Christ. And this is great because so many of us look at our faith not by how, who God declares us to be, but we look at our faith based on how we feel in the moment, right? So like when we are feeling really spiritually high and we're soaring and everything's great, we're like, I'm a super Christian. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. We're great, right? But when we go into the valley, we, we allow ourselves to doubt who we are in Christ and even doubt God's love and purpose for us. I, I heard someone say this this week, and I wanted to share it with you. He said, feelings do not tell you the truth all the time. They just tell you how you feel truthfully. I'm going to say that again because some of you need to hear this, all right? Feelings do not tell you the truth all the time. They just tell you how you feel truthfully. So feelings are not bad, but your feelings are not arbiters of truth that said, your faith is not a feeling, it's a position given to you by God. You've been brought from the domain of darkness and into his marvelous light. If there's days you don't feel very Christian positionally, you are still a child of God. You have been chosen before the foundations of the world. You are holy, which means you have been set apart, and you are beloved by the author of love himself. So that means you don't have to earn attention. You don't have to find your worth in this world, and you don't have to earn affection because God has declared over you that you are chosen, holy, and beloved. So with our identity rooted in who God has declared us to be, not about how we feel, but who God has declared us to be, what are the characteristics we ought to see when we put on a new self? Well, he gives us a nice little list here, right? Compassion. Compassion means deep emotional empathy and sympathy for others. It has to do with having a tender heart for the people around you. Kindness is a willingness to meet others' needs. This is more than just being nice to people, which, by the way, Christians should be the nicest people. But it has more to do with being benevolent. The actual Greek word for kindness has to do with being of useful service to others. Humility is a perspective and attitude that recognizes your dependence on the Lord and not yourself. When you see yourself accurately before God, you choose to be less arrogant and prideful towards others, right? Meekness means to be even tempered and self controlled. Meekness is not weakness, meekness is a gentle strength. And then there's patience. Patience is the capacity and willingness to endure over a prolonged period of time for someone else. The Bible sometimes uses this phrase called long-suffering. That sounds miserable, right, long-suffering. But that's a good way to describe patience in many ways because it depicts the idea of enduring for an extended period of time something for someone else. So verse 1 of chapter 3 says that if you have been raised with Christ, we ought to seek the things that are above. And because of that, in verse 5, it tells us to put off the things that are earthly in us. That's like the sins and the vices that don't reflect the resurrection that happened when Christ saved us. So he, 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 he wants us to remove the things that don't reflect the new resurrected life that we have. And then he says in verse 12 that we are to put on as... Holy, beloved, chosen people of God, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Don't mistake Paul's list here as a moral self-help guide. He wants the life of Christ to be seen more distinctly in the life of the Colossians. He desires them to live consistently with the spiritual realities that are already true about them. And he desires that for us too. Verse 13, bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The greatest example that a group of people have been transformed by the gospel is in the way they show grace and forgiveness to one another. Probably one of the most spectacular miracles that is the church is that God can take people from different ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds, different stories, different everything, and not just gather them, not just bring them together, but the miracle is that God unites them. He makes them one. And he does this miracle because he transforms you and I to be like Jesus, He who is gracious and forgiving to you is able to make you gracious and forgiving to others. I know there are relationships in your life where you say, Frank, listen, I don't have the capacity to show them grace. I I don't have it in me to forgive them. I don't have any more patience for people. And you know what? That's that's probably true. You know, uh, one of the most important things for biblical self-awareness that you need to understand is this, is that you are limited. You are limited. You cannot do everything. You, don't ha- you, you need boundaries because you don't have the ability to physically and emotionally do more than you are capable of doing. So it's good for you to understand this. This is biblical self-awareness. You are limited. But you also have to remember that God is unlimited. If you are limited, God is unlimited. So when you are tapped out of patience and compassion and meekness and humility, our first posture should be to sprint to the Lord because he has unlimited patience, grace, compassion, love. He has an, he's an endless tap of all the characteristics that you are empty of, and he is a well that never runs dry. And you can get filled with his compassion and mercy so that you are able to then show that to others. And I get it. Forgiveness is hard, Right? Christmas is in a couple weeks. And there's some people that you only see once a year that you struggle to forgive. And and this is why Paul says we are to put on these things. Like that winter coat when you have to take out the garbage, it's too heavy. I don't want to put it on. But I know I should because I might get frostbite out here, right? I need to put this on. In the same way, you might not want to be humble. You might not want to be forgiving. You may not want to be meek. But we are to put it on because this is who we are. In Christ. If we're hidden in Christ, our life should reflect that we are hidden in Christ. You are limited, but you have an unlimited resource of compassion and forgiveness and patience from God to appropriate for yourself and to give generously to others. Notice that every time in the New Testament, when the scriptures want to tell us how we to show the world, That we're hidden in Christ. When Paul wants to say, this is the evidence that you've been changed by the gospel, the examples they always give is, how are you treating other people? How are you loving one another? It's never about how much Bible you have memorized. It's how faithful you are coming to church. It's it's always, how are you treating one another? It's almost as if how we treat one another best exemplifies the transformation that's taking place inside of us. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So I'm not from Wisconsin. I say this often. I'm from Florida. And around this time of year, it's about March, I'm painfully aware that I'm not from Wisconsin because it's so cold outside. Like just going outside, you're in pain for existing, right? It's so cold. And, and, um, and, and when I moved here, people warned me, Frank, what are you going to do? Well, it's going to be so cold. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to put a hoodie on. I didn't realize I need to put seven hoodies on. It's so, like that kid in the Christmas story that's like this, that's wisdom. It's, it's smart. It's too cold, right? But I noticed something about winter fashion when I moved up here. Men's winter coats are just big jackets, right? Like men's winter coats are just a jacket, just a little poofier, right? Women's coats are different, some of these coats for women go all the way down to their ankles, right? Like, they, they walk around, you know, like this. They, they can't make big strides, but they're cozy, right? Like, it's just warm in there, right? It's like men, guys don't get cold in their legs, apparently. But, but women, their, their, outfits, their, their coats go all the way down to their ankles. It doesn't matter how cute your outfit is. Once you zip up that coat, your coat's your outfit, right? Just like a winter coat that covers everything. When Paul says love binds everything together, what he has in mind is like a giant coat that covers your entire body, that binds everything together, that holds everything together. Paul is saying with all these characteristics, humility, compassion, patience, kindness, forgiveness, like a cloak that covers your whole body and binds everything together, love is the most important thing. It's, the, it's, it's what creates perfect harmony in the church. And it's true, like, we, we, we kind of know this anecdotally, right? If you are you, truly loving to others, it will be demonstrated in your compassion, in your humility, in your patience, in your kindness, in the way you treat them, right? Also, we know that it, 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 if you do good things without love, it just feels empty. It feels hollow, right? First Corinthians 13 even tells us that our worship and devotion to God without love is just a loud noise. It's pointless, it's meaningless, it's empty. So for unity in the church and the greatest demonstration that you are truly in Christ, it is demonstrated in the way that you love one another. True Christian maturity is not in how many verses you have memorized, how many mission trips you've been on, how many times you've taken communion. The greatest example of true Christian maturity is demonstrated in the way you love one another. Jesus Himself said this in John 13. And you need help me finish this. The world will know you are disciples by the way you what. Love one another. Spiritual maturity is not perfection, but being more loving to one another. Mature Christians are loving Christians. So let me ask you this question: There are people in your life who you love right now who are not hard to love, right? Like maybe because they don't ask a lot from you or maybe because you benefit from being in a relationship with them and that's why you love them. But what does it look like to love someone who you struggle to find love for? What does it look like to love someone who votes differently than you? What does it look like to care for someone with different philosophies and ideologies of life than you? What does it look like to love someone who you struggle to be patient and compassionate with? We could talk about love all day. But if if you want to see how your sanctification is doing, if you want to see how am I being conformed into the image of Jesus, show me how you love those who you don't like very much. And that will show me how much of Jesus looks like in you. Because when you were at your worst, Jesus loved you. So are you able to at least bear with one another? Show patience and kindness to someone you don't naturally like, Because that is spiritual maturity. That is the evidence that you have been changed by the gospel. So we know we're to empty our closets, right? We're to take off our old selves and we're to put on these attributes that make us more like Jesus, live into the identity that God has declared us to be. But how do we do that practically? Well, Paul gives us some practical steps. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Often when we talk about peace, we talk about inner peace. Like when a world has gone mad, how can I find my sanity? How can I have peace so I'm not worried? And so Philippians 4 actually gives us a good verse to describe what that looks like, how to have inner peace. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be being known to God. And the peace of God... What surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says, with your anxieties and your worries, bring that to the Lord. Worrying is just praying to yourself. Praying is giving your anxieties to the God who actually is in control of all things in this universe. So, when you feel the anxiety of this world creep up on you, increase your dependence on the Lord. Give it to him and trust in his sovereign authority over all things, and you will receive a peace that makes no sense in this world. But the peace of Christ that's in Philippians, uh, that, that's here in Colossians, is the same as the peace of God in Philippians 4. But what Paul wants is for us to do something a little different for, in this situation. In verse 15, he says the word rule. He wants the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. That Greek word for rule is the same word we have for the word umpire in English. And it's interesting. Think of basketball or baseball games. What do umpires and referees do, right? They, their job is to literally keep the game under control, to keep the game within the boundaries. And Paul says to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace umpire your heart. Why? Because peace leads to contentment, and contentment allows me to not be envious of you, to not see you as competition. When I have peace in my heart, I can have peace with anyone. And and when your heart is being umpired or ruled by peace, it should lead to peace with one another. When you have peace ruling your your heart, you're not seeking conflict because you have peace. Right, which will lead you to give space for humility and kindness and meekness and, most importantly, love in your life for one another. All the things we've been mentioning. Let's keep going verse 16. He says, And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. The word of Christ is both the literal words Jesus spoke in the Gospels, but it's also the words about Jesus in the epistles. I like how the NIV says that he says that, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. We need to keep this message of Christ to reside in our hearts and our minds so that it becomes a filter in our lives. So anything we say, think, or do must first go through this filter of Christ and either needs to, to be filtered by it or submitted to the word of Christ. But in the context of this is to the church. So Paul is saying that the word of Christ dwell in all of us corporately as a body of believers. But how do we do this? He says that we are to have the word of Christ teach us and to admonish us. To teach us means as we learn what it says and apply it to our life, we're to apply this towards one another as well. But to let the word of Christ admonish us means we're to allow the word of God to correct us, to change us. I need to let the word of God call me out. When I see something wrong, When I see my life not lined up with what the scriptures say, my first posture shouldn't be, well, the scripture's wrong. My first posture should be, I need to check my own life. Where are my shadow says, why am I not lining up with what God has for me and let my life submit to the text? I need to let the word of God offend me. And when I find myself offended by the scriptures, I need to allow myself to change and not be defensive towards what the scripture says, but allow my life to be submitted to the words of Jesus. So in all wisdom, we are to teach and admonish one another. But how does Paul recommend we do that? Through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is important. The songs before the sermon is not a concert. It's not like an appetizer before we get to the big meal, all right? That's worship, but so is this. This is worship. The proclamation of the gospel, the preaching of God's word, this is worship. But this is also a teaching and admonishment. And so is the singing of the songs. That's teaching and admonishment. This is important because uh, uh, like, like Caleb, who is over all of worship, Pastor Caleb's over all of worship at all four campuses, every single song that we sing in church is combed over lyric by lyric by his team to make sure it's accurate and biblical. And every song that's written by our church not only is combed over, but we as pastors get to speak into it to make sure it truly reflects the word of God because The words we sing are as important as the words I'm preaching to you right now. And the reason is, is that when you leave this place today, you might not remember a single word I say, but you're going to be humming the chorus we sang earlier. So these words matter. Two thousand years ago, there were no podcasts, YouTube videos, or even access to books. What people had were their words in a powerful way to teach and communicate the message of Christ is by creating songs that they would sing in their congregations amongst one another, over one another. And so when I sing songs on Sundays, those lyrics challenge me. Sometimes we sing songs that may not be true about my life right now, but I want them to be true about my life. And the more I sing them out loud with you and over you, the more it will change and mold me and the way it's going to change and mold you. Can I tell you about my favorite song right now that we sing on Sunday morning? My favorite song is Christ Be Magnified. That song slaps, all right? The bridge gets me so hype. I'm going to read it for you. He says, I won't bow down to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. You guys aren't hype enough for me. Like, I need, I, get, I need a little more energy. I was like, this, this song goes hard. Okay, hold on. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Bars, all right? This is a—oh, am- okay, hold on. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Oh, crap, you don't want me to sing. I can't. I will. I want to, but I won't because I shouldn't. But I love this song because it challenges me to think biblically about what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to bow to idols, but it's tempting. I don't want to be formed by feelings, but it's so easy. And when I'm suffering, when I'm going through trials, when I'm in the pit, in the valley, in the hardest of days, I need to remind myself that God is not abandoning me, but Christ is with me this song isn't just good, I want it to be true in my life. And the more I sing it in church, the more I sing it when I'm driving, the more I'm singing it in the shower, the more I sing it over and over again, it begins to dwell richly in my heart. And when it dwells richly in my heart, it will produce in me a person that's cultivating the character of Jesus, which means the more I am conforming myself into the person of Jesus, the more I behave like Jesus to you with compassion and humility and meekness and all the good attributes. This is what Paul is getting to. The more you become like Jesus, the more it's dwelling in you, the more you treat others in the way that reflects that you've been transformed by the gospel. Verse 17, let's finish this up. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Next week, we're going to be starting our Christmas series. And in January, we're going to pick back up in Colossians, and we're going to spend one whole sermon just on this verse in verse 17. But, but for today, I want to tell you this. That verse 17, what it does here is it ties the entire chapter together and says, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever your actions are, let it show Jesus to the world. What, our words to one another, our actions towards one another, let it reflect Jesus' name in whatever you say and whatever you do. Did you notice those last three verses, there's one common thread? You may have missed it. I don't know if you noticed it. Verse 15, it says, and be thankful. Verse 16, it says, with thankfulness. And verse 17, it says, giving thanks. When you see something like this, repeated very, very quickly, it's important. Paul wants to try to convey something to you. If we're trying to figure out how to cultivate love and humility and patience towards others, it seems that Paul is saying gratitude is the foundation where all of this will spring from. As you let peace rule your heart among each other, we are to be thankful. As you let the word of Christ dwell in your heart, do it with thankfulness. And as you allow your words and actions to reflect the name of Jesus, do it while giving thanks to God. Thankfulness leads to worship, and worship leads to godliness. When you are thankful for your salvation or for what the Lord has done for you, it ought to lead to changing the way you speak, the way you think, and the way you act. If I am remembering what the Lord has done for me, and I am thankful for it, why would, it not, why would I not let it form me to be more generous and gracious towards others? I found this in my study this week. I just thought it was really interesting. I want to share it with you. The Greek word for giving thanks in verse 17 is the word Eucharisto, which is where we get the word Eucharist from, which is another word for the Lord's Supper. And and when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. And that should lead us to gratitude. Every time we remember that Jesus laid down his life for our sins, and, he, and he, his blood forgives us and cleanses us of all of our sins, we should be thankful for that. 1 Corinthians also reminds us that when we have this meal, we're to take inventory of the relationships with one another. Jesus accomplished reconciliation between us and God, and Jesus too wants us to be reconciled with one another. And this meal of Thanksgiving reminds us to care deeply about our relations with, with one another And as we remember with gratitude what Christ has done for us. So if we are to put off the things that are worldly and sinful in us, and then we are to put on the things that reflect our identity in Christ towards one another, I want to give you three questions to reflect on, to think about, to write down, as you think about what it looks like to put on a new man, to put on Christ um, in this world. The first question, what are the things holding me back from allowing God's peace to rule in my heart? What are the things holding me back from allowing God's peace to rule my heart? Next week, come back, Christmas series, and we're going to talk all about peace. But here's one thing you can do right now. Can you name the thing in your life that's robbing your peace? Can you name it? Because for so many of us, we don't feel peace, but we don't know what is sucking the peace from our life, what is robbing us, what is giving us the anxieties in our life. If you can start naming that, that's the first thing that will lead you to having the peace of Christ to rule your heart. Second thing, how do I allow Christ's word to dwell in me? On the hub, I have four Bible reading plans for you, um, for you to to get into God's word right now, right? Uh, You don't have to wait till January. You can start right now. And and here's a tip. Don't do it alone. Not just uh, find a friend to keep you accountable. Find a friend who will read the scriptures with you. It doesn't have to be together, but find someone to do these Bible reading plans together. I have four of them. One's a year long. One's like 19 days. Varying length, it will get you into God's word. That's one thing I have for you. The other thing I have for you is this. I love music. We talked about it. I have four Spotify playlists I'm going to give you that I made for you, okay? The first Spotify playlist is going to be a worship playlist. Um, it's going to have a lot of the songs that we sing here on Sunday morning, plus more of my favorites. I have another worship playlist, um, Sorry, a Christmas playlist. There's no Mariah Carey, no Michael Buble, I'm sorry. But it's a lot of worship Christmas songs, Christ-centered worship Christmas songs. I also have a hip-hop playlist because I love rap music. And I have a bunch of Christian hip-hop playlists on there. And I also have a very chill lo-fi beats playlist. How is it Christian? Go check it out and you'll figure it out, okay? It's a really good playlist. All that's going to be at the Hub. Go to hub.epicos.org to see those, uh, those uh, Bible reading stuff. Yep, there's the playlist. And also to find the Spotify playlist. The last question for you to ask yourself is this. What is something I am thankful for today? What is something I am thankful for today? The way you cultivate gratefulness is by being grateful. Our society cultivates ingrateful, um, ingratitude. So putting boundaries on stuff like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook is really wise because that stuff just creates ingratitude. But one way you can raise your gratitude awareness is by doing this. The moment you catch yourself being unthankful or having ingratitude, I want you to immediately right there and then consider one thing that you're grateful for. You should be able to name something. Are you grateful for your family, your job, your health, the provisions God has given you? If you can't say any of that, you can at least say one thing you still have your salvation. You can start that today with communion. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, orient your heart to thankfulness to the Lord that he has rescued you from the domain of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light by the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You're kind to us. You're gracious to us, Lord. And and as we... um, Still have the old man lurking around us, Lord. Our flesh and a world that that hates you and despises you, Lord. Help us to daily remind ourselves to take off the things that are worldly within us. And to put on the identity in Christ that you have purchased by the blood of your son, Lord. You have adopted us into your family. You have set us apart. And you have lavished us with your love. So let us daily remind ourselves of who you are and what you've done for us so that we can demonstrate to, the, to not just the people around us but to the world around us that we are, we are set apart. We are loved by the, the author of love himself, Lord, and, and, and let our lives and our actions and our words and everything we do reflect you well, Lord. Be with us in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.